Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. And we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Dad, this week I'm going to begin Loose Units, The Shadow Files by reading from a 10-year-old piece from the Sydney Morning Herald. For sale, one good, solid four-bedroom home with the infamous Snowtown Bank attached. The property is about to go on eBay, touted as a good family home in a quiet South Australian town, says Nigel Christie, sales director of Hale Real Estate in South Australia. There will be scant mention of its past, in line with eBay policy on murder memorabilia, he said. Mr. Christie says the listing will mention the property has links to illegal activity and that prospective buyers can contact him for more information. Mr. Christie says the current owners brought the property in 2006 despite initial reservations about its past and the family has been living in the home and using the bank office space for music and games. It is just a quiet little town that would make an ideal place for a family or a rental opportunity, Mr. Christie said. Now, Dad, I did a little more digging and I found an article from 2015 in Vice magazine. And I'll read you from this. Every day, Chris Black and Rob Vanderveen watch someone new turn up at the front of their house. It's a constant stream of the morbidly curious. Some come to stare and imagine, others picnic in front of the doors. Some leave cards for paranormal investigators. Some try to break in. Most come to take photos. Some try even to bring their own barrels. They want to get into the bank, Black says. They want to get into the vault. That's their mission. Go and look at the vault. If they can get in, they will. It's been 16 years since Australia's most infamous murder case and people still keep coming to Snowtown. He and Black bought the bank in 2012. They're the ones who bought the house from the real estate listing I just read, Dad. So they moved over from Melbourne. They were looking for something quiet, they say, and the bank's history didn't matter. Asked how they feel about living in the building next door, they say to them, it's just a shop. You've got lots of people who've been murdered in houses all over the world, says Vanderveen. You can't just let it rot. Even if they pulled it down, people would still visit the block. Mm. They go to Truro and they look at nothing, a paddock. Mm. They still go up there in flocks. Now the couple live in the house adjoining the bank and have slowly been restoring the property after years of neglect. The bank itself isn't used for much, they say, except for storage and as an occasional sleeping place for their cat. Now, first of all, Dad, 
I haven't been able to find out whether since 2015 when this piece was published, they're still living in the house. But the fact is Snowtown's population at this point was around about 400 and it's been dwindling because the town is grappling with a really, really sticky predicament. Hmm. Hmm. When your town is dying, right? When, it, when it's absolutely disappearing, it might be tempting to sort of reach back and rely on something called dark tourism, which is something that quite accidentally we have been kind of participating in, in a way. And, and that is, you know, people hopping from place to place, visiting mm. the sites of horrendous crimes. So it mm. brings in tourism money and it could potentially save the town. But then all people are talking about is the crime itself, right? If you go to London and you do a Jack mm. the Ripper tour, mm. <laughs> that's fine because London has a lot of other <clears throat> stuff going on. But in Snowtown, there's nothing else to do. It's, I mean, it's a blink and you'll miss it little rural. It's on the side of a rural highway. When you say Snowtown, the only thing that gets conjured up, even to locals now, is the fact that these murders happened here. Uh, and the barrels were found in 1999. Now, the people who are sitting here going, what are you talking about? What barrels? First of all, congratulations. You have mm. officially dodged hearing about, I would say, one of Australia's, if not the world's, worst string of serial killings. It's fucking... It, and the fact that it was happening... You know, around it, because we've done a lot of stuff on Loose Units, The Shadow Files, because Dad was a cop back in the 80s. And obviously, Dad, you know, we've talked about the Morehouse murders, the Claremont. We've talked about all kinds of stuff that was happening back when you were it's, a serving it's police bad. officer. Really this bad. stuff was happening back when you were in the fire brigade. Is that correct? As it will be revealed in this at least two-parter, yeah. it was very, very specific in terms of the... Of the of the people and the the, the locations and and you well, you know you make mention at the beginning of the murders in Snowtown but really Paul there was only one right. murder yeah and when I Thank weirdly you. heard and and sort of came up with that because I didn't know that but hang on what do you mean there's only one murder there was only one murder that was actually carried out in Snowtown the other murders oh, were carried out yes. in Adelaide. I thought you meant that there was only one murder and that people actually didn't realise that the rest were misadventure or something. But no, yes, you are correct. Only one murder took place yeah. in Snowtown. The rest took place way outside correct, Snowtown. Correct. So the fact, so a lot of the townsfolk in Snowtown, Dad, you know, the the few that are still there because it's basically, you know, it's a dying it's town. Sad, but that's the case across Australia with dying towns. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just this. For, for those of you listening overseas, Australia is a phenomenally big country. I mean, huge, really big. Huge. Tegan makes this running joke that, you know, you drive for three hours in Europe, you're going to pass through 12 countries, 900 castles, and through all these incredible vistas. You drive for three hours outside of Melbourne, and you end up in, you know, Mafra, or you end up in... You, you just... There's huge gulfs and expanses between places, and... Snowtown is just the most unassuming place. And the fact is the building that is the focal point of this story was rented by the killer mm. for, a, for a very specific purpose. Mm. And that was the, you know, you will find that out throughout the, throughout the series. Mm. But it seems deeply unfair to me that this town should suffer. I agree. And how much of a role do you think the filmmakers have to play here? They could have called it something else. Mm. But Look, the town the have tried to change the name to Rosetown. Have that. Yes. But as some, uh, you know, I guess moderately clever journalist said, um, but it wouldn't help the town. They certain, 
certainly wouldn't end up smelling like roses, he said, which right. is an unfortunate play on words. But, um, you know, I googled um, the best attractions, the three top attractions. In Snowtown? Yeah. Okay, and what did you come up with? Well, it's quite interesting. In, in Just for the listeners overseas, in Australia, mm. um, listeners, dear, dear listeners, we have things, and I don't know whether it's unique to just Australia, but we have things like the big some, something. So in Tamworth, it's the big guitar. Um, in Coffs Harbour, it's the big mm. banana. And it just goes on, like the big, the big, the big yabby. Uh, we'd like to we'd like to have you head in an arbitrary direction, and then the, the major export in that region will have a giant, freakishly big effigy with a gift shop underneath it. I mean, America has has a similar thing, mm. you know, um, sometimes. But yeah, we've got a giant merino sheep, a big banana, correct, whatever. Correct, correct. Yeah. But Paul, so were you hoping were you hoping for some sort no, of big snow? They do or have something? something big there. Do they? Yes. The the number one attraction in Snowtown, folks, yeah, yeah, is, and I think it's kind of clever. Paul, do you recall when we did the road trip with our series of live shows and we actually headed to Adelaide? Do you recall we stopped at the most mind blowing, atmospheric, eerie yet beautiful wind farms? Yes, I do. Tegan drove us through these it incredible was just, wind farms. Yeah, it was so wonderful. So cleverly, Snowtown. Yeah. have got one of these massive blades. They've set it up permanently, lying on its side, and it's called, get ready for this, the big blade. Is is that a smart idea using... That's their number one I attraction. Mean, yeah, but when I hear the big blade, I think of an edged weapon used to hurt people. Mm, true, Why would, true. Having, having said that, Dad, and I'm sure you came across this in your um, during your research, mm. but apparently... The wind farms near Snowtown are responsible for, I believe, 10% of the wind farm energy in uh, South Australia. Well, that's something to be very, very proud of. Now, it re- yeah, now it really to the is. point, Paul, if I wasn't... So, now, I don't want to take from any of the previous horrendous murder stories mm-hmm. and all the, the vileness and, and the, the just... just Well, again, words fail me. But when I found out that... And I don't want to sort of. I'm not. I'm not being sort of offhandish. I'm not being frivolous with my mm-hmm. choice of words. But I was slightly relieved to know that. And I use this word judiciously. Only one of the victims was actually tortured and murdered in the bank. So that sounds a little bit weird, but. It made me think that if I lived in Snowtown, I wouldn't feel quite so bad. Like, I know that all the bodies ended up there, and we'll get to how they ended up there and why they ended up there, which is really interesting. But it made me feel a bit lighter. Is that making sense? I think if you were living there, you'd have to start doing some pretty interesting sort of internal reconfiguration to find a silver definitely, lining. And yes, definitely. The fa- yeah, the fact that only one of the people was actually killed. I mean, I would argue the way this person was killed was, I mean, okay. absolutely agree, terrifying. Agree. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, and also with a, po- with a population that small, I mean, it's just, 
you would walk past it every day. Dad, I'm looking at photos of the main street in Snowtown and from certain angles, it just looks like every other Australian s- small town. Mm. I mean, it's got, you know, it's got an IGA, you know, it's got a pub, it's got those kind of, it, it is a very classic looking Australian small town. Um, even the building that the, that Rob Vanderveen and Chris Black bought back in 2014 Looks like one of those kind of just like a country store that's been shuttered. The actual bank buildings, the, the kind of shop front is closed up with tiles. So it doesn't look, it's just a, I don't know. And I'm looking through the town and uh, back in 2019, the former Scout Hall, and you've seen rural Australian Scout Halls. They're pretty big buildings. Mm. It's sold for just under 35000 Australian dollars. Nothing. You could literally, you could buy up the town. Okay, okay. Fact, look, yeah. okay. <clears throat> you touched on the size of Australia. And now let's just cut to the chase, folks. And let's look at what we do. One of the things that people do when they go to London is they go to the Tower of London. Mm. Now, the Tower of London, if you go back in time and have a look what really happened there, the number of beheadings, the, the appalling conditions that people were kept in the Tower, it was an infamous it was a rotten. It was despicable. It was, it, and some of the torturing that, that used to go back in medieval times was, was, you know, they literally wrote the book on torture. Okay, yeah. but people, Brits, yeah, yeah, and you go there and you can't, you can't see the end of the line for people that want to go into a place of, of, of terrible, terrible things that have happened, and yet, why is it that? that people can go into places like that and and not even it's it's sort of it's it's interesting and it's historic i get it why don't the people of snowtown create for example a maybe a murder museum what do you think about that for an yes, idea yes that is that is something they've actually been grappling with yeah. right in a piece published on abc news Back in 2019, it was actually updated. Life after death, dark tourism, and the future of Snowtown. Mm. A lot of the locals are actually grappling with the idea of building some sort of memorial because. Uh, so one of the local advocates said, "While the town has plenty of other attractions to promote, and I'm quoting from the piece here, such as its recently painted water tower and its giant wind turbine blade, like you said." Mm. Local advocate Miss Altman agrees Snowtown should not try to deny its past. We've got to take any good thing we can get from it because guaranteed it's done more damage than good, she said. After the murders, it did not take long for some to see a silver lining. Souvenirs went on sale and attempts were made to cash in on the crimes. Documentaries in a feature film were made. Dark tourism is the practice of attracting visitors to a region where grisly or macabre events have occurred. In Snowtown, there has been constant talk of turning the old bank vault into a dark tourism site, potentially a museum. It's been suggested that something be done with it, said former police officer Joseph O'Connell, who was stationed at Snowtown in the late 2000s. The bank vault's current owners are understood to be interested in such a venture, but so far have not pursued it. While locals accept they can do nothing to stop the influx of passers-by who pull over to take selfies outside the old bank, many would likely be opposed to such a museum. There was a suggestion at the end of all the investigations and the court cases that the building would be taken over by the government and, as was done in Salisbury North, it would be demolished so there was nothing to encourage spectator tourism, Mr O'Connell said. It should have been completely removed from the landscape. Interestingly, Mr O'Connell's brother Michael is the state's former commissioner for victims' rights and worked with family members of the Snowtown victims for several years. So, 
if you are a relative of a victim of the Snowtown murders and you drive past and there's a photo op where you can crawl into a barrel and get your photo taken out the front of the building, right? Mm. I would find that earth-shatteringly grief-triggering. Mm. Mm. I mean, that would just ruin mm. me. Okay, Paul, but okay, what about... I'm, what, I'm, but, I'm not, but I'm not, I'm not no, taking no, a No, no, I know, but what about the families yeah. that go to Auschwitz and have a look at the ovens? But then, yes, now here's the thing. That is a That is a respectful tribute to ensure it never happens again but the snowtown killings are not a thing that were part of a large politically endorsed push it was a lone madman and i think what happens is there's a big push now dad when you get a you know young male psychopath who's gone on a killing spree if they've issued some sort of weird hateful racist manifesto on facebook the press is being um you know kind of prompted now to not Mm. publish it yeah. and not put the words out because what the killer wanted was to have their kind of madness broadcast and you don't want to give them a platform. So I think beyond the sort of dark tourism route and beyond the moral, ethical, financial whatevers is the fact that these people were bad people who should not be celebrated. So are you condemning and paying tribute to the victims no, because or are you potentially risking being because I'm looking at some of that there's these like, there's little like fridge magnets and patches here that say um, yeah. Snowtown SA you'll have a barrel of yeah, fun that, that's, or that's, I've been to Snowtown and survived that's, yeah. that's, that's kids stuff I, I don't believe bearing in mind that the people we're going to talk about the offenders um, they're alive as we speak they're in custody yep. they're real Seven people consecutive life sentences yeah, yeah. Um, and it's 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 you know the, the 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 lead character in this story um, that we will discuss. Um, you know he 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 was not um, he he wasn't a local, but without sort of going down this particular path too early. I mean, again, um, and I'm not making excuses, of course, but it's important to have all the facts. And the facts are that when this horrendous person that we haven't named yet um when he was very young uh, he was eight he was he was the victim of a horrendous uh, sexual assault now of course that opens up a you know i don't want to use the expression can of worms but i will um as to things that can happen in people's formative years that can send them on this trajectory that can have ramifications that in this case um, are just unbelievable and also to consider is that the people that are in custody now to this very day at least well two of them one of them has has um, expressed extreme remorse but for two of them it's just this they still believe that what they did was, believe it or not, right. Yeah, the motives are really strange. Dad, can I read you something? This was... I was going to send this to you, but I wanted to kind of read it to you uh, live and see what you thought. Uh, Because I think it's a really interesting place to start in terms of the actual killings. So this was published in The Age, May 22nd, 1999. And this, for many people, was their first point of contact with this story. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at a photo of police technical services officers removing items from former bank building in Snowtown. And it is, it's the building I've been looking at uh, photos of for the past week. Mm. And it's CSU people 
taking bags of personal effects and putting them in the back of a forensics van. Uh, first of all, it's very interesting looking inside the back of a, you know, forensics van. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's journalists around and yeah for many people this was the moment when the world discovered what was happening in Snowtown so I'm going to read word for word Mm. here we go the remains of up to six people one possibly a convicted pedophile were removed by police yesterday from a disused bank vault in a small country town in South Australia's mid-north see at this point dad they haven't even mentioned the town Mm. it's they lead with the crime I'll keep reading major crime detectives made the grisly discovery late on Thursday after inquiries in relation to three missing people led them to Snowtown, a hamlet 150 kilometers north of Adelaide. I believe it's actually 147 k's, but yeah. Three Adelaide men were yesterday charged with murder. The remains, male and female, were stored in six 44-gallon plastic barrels in a vault of the town's old state bank building. More than 50 police swooped on Snowtown, population 500, after a year-long investigation into unsolved missing persons files. Detective Superintendent Paul Schramm said police had been investigating the disappearances of Elizabeth Hayden, who went missing from Adelaide's northern suburbs late last year, Clinton Trezise, and a convicted pedophile Barry Lane. And at this point, I'm looking at a photo, and we will post this on the Facebook page, of um, a uh, of an emergency services kind of forensics tent mm. at the rear of the house mm. in uh, <clears throat> Salisbury North. Mm. Detective Inspector Tank of the Major Crime Squad said police had been surprised to discover the remains. It is believed that when police opened the vault on Thursday, they were overcome by the stench of decay and immediately declared it a major crime scene. Families of the three missing people were notified by police, although the number of bodies and their identities will not be known until tests are completed next week. Now, I won't keep reading simply because that would kind of give away a lot of the storytelling we're about to do. Um, but this is the moment for, you know, people living in Snowtown, this was the moment their their lives changed forever. Mm. Um, I'm looking at this, at this back, uh, the streets of Snowtown at this point. There's a lot of kind of candid photography of the main street and of the side streets. It is a quiet town, mm. but you can already see the journalists pouring in. Mm. 50 police in a town with a population of 500... That's, mm. I mean, not a single person there. Now, here's a question, Dad, before we kind of pivot towards the origin story of the actual killer slash killers. If you lived in that town where, you know, these small towns, everybody knows everybody else. I mean, do you think anybody there was kind of sus about the building being rented by this, uh, you know, out-of-towner and no, I think their just, comings and goings? No, no? I just think they'd be grateful, particularly the owner, to get yeah. some rent. And yep. you, you just, you, look, if you owned a building in a country town, and a bank's kind of an interesting building in that, it, you know, it, by its nature, you know that it's going to have probably a, 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 a big strong room, sure. like a walk-in safe. And that, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Because imagine... Soundproof as well. Soundproof, yeah. and, but also imagine having to actually, you know, put some sort of massive walk-in safe from yep. scratch into a building would be incredibly expensive. So I guess that's a bit of a, a bonus. And people would be thinking, okay, it's a it's a bank. Uh, my mind, if I lived in that town, would be it's it could possibly going to be maybe a shop that sells firearms, like a gun store. Um, it could and and gun shops are completely legal. They're they're very much um, you know necessary in in regional Australia. Because farmers use guns. I mean, professional hunters for culling. Um, it could have been 
an archery shop. It could have been a sports store, and, and a sports store by its nature is going to have a section that will sell firearms. It could be a local pistol club. Um, it could be a private collector. Um, famously, one of our ex-Prime Ministers, Paul Keating, who has got one of the best clock collections in the world, he is known for, at least in one of his uh, homes, has a, a walk-in safe, like right. one whole room just for his, for his clock collection. So you'd be thinking, the last thing you would be thinking would be that a mass murderer is going to use this building of to store up uh, an exceptionally large number of, of bodies and um, I'm just I'm just putting my my ex forensic cap on now as I sit here it's funny how I can sort of look over at glasses and taps and and sort of look out the window and see another building and nice plants and just sort of looking, but I'm not actually seeing any of that. I'm because my mind is thinking about those police that had to actually unscrew the lids off these containers. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Now, bearing in mind that there was acid used to accelerate decomposition, but I'm just kind of you know that's that's as as we talk, Paul. I can't help but think of those um, of those officers that were required to actually get into the into the actual nitty gritty. Um, but this is a story, in essence, 
His name is, because he's still a lad, John Justin Bunting. Yeah. Which reminds me of that um, that nursery rhyme. Cry baby bunting, daddy's gone a-hunting. Oh, God, isn't that horrendous? Jesus. You should... Have you, have you heard that, that nursery rhyme before? Yep. Isn't that bizarre? But um, Mr. Bunting... He had been viciously uh, sexually assaulted and bashed as an eight-year-old by his brother's best friend. And they were from Queensland. And he made his way. This is what a lot of people do. They, If you read the actual accounts of what type of a person he, I'm going to say he was in terms of that time, he was... Well-spoken, incredibly polite, charismatic, would help people. He would cook. He would help people with their car. He just was an all-round, on-the-surface, really nice guy. And because of that, he beguiled people. He was manipulative. Manipulative. Some have described him as a... Svengali, and that's that's a big call. Someone that, and he was very short. He was five foot four. I'm not sure what that is in centimeters, but that's kind of fairly short. I think you'd agree. Um, are, you allowed, are, are we even allowed to, to say short? Is that a word you can use anymore? I don't know. I, I, what? I don't know. The word short. The fight. <laughs> Dad, things that's tall or short. It's not I know, a, you I know. know. But then you've got it's medium. Not judgment. I'm not, it's not a judgment call. But then you've got Jesus. medium. Look, Justin, <laughs> John Justin Bunting. Yep. Yeah, he was born in 1966. Yep. What year were you born in? 1960. A fine okay. year. Sure. So, he was born in Adelaide. And the thing you mentioned, you mentioned something before that kind of grabbed me, Dad. You said he thought, uh, you said one of the three killers had kind of, you know, apologised and expressed deep remorse, but the other two claimed they were on some sort of crusade. Mm-hmm. Now, Bunting seemed to imply that he was... Yeah, he was very, very manipulative. And he sort of had the ability to kind of control people around mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. But he was living in Murray Bridge, South Australia from 1991 in November. Mm-hmm. Um, he lived on a street called Loman Street. And then he moved to Burdekin Avenue in 1997. And these locations were kind of pivotal throughout the crimes. But basically, he what I'm trying to say is a lot of these crimes happened in and around where he lived. Mm. And like we established before, the bodies were stored in Snowtown, which is, you know, between 140, 150K outside of Adelaide, north of Adelaide. Mm. Um, but that didn't happen till the very end. Yeah, so let's let's talk through... Because he's come out and you know he's he's had his time in you know in, in the press uh, relatively recently and talked through some stuff. But let's talk through his history and what led him to do this stuff. Well, as I said, Paul, he um, originally was from Queensland, and yeah. he had undergone a you know a, a trauma, which by anyone's account is. I mean, you know how things have. I mean, it's weird me saying this to you now, Paul, but. Is there anything in your past when you were very young that sort of, or was your sort of, a, were your early years sort of fairly, you know, 
devoid of any major trauma. But, you know, um, when you're very young, the problem is you trust older people. Um, and then weirdly with young people, sometimes you get this feeling of it's a transference of guilt where the victim as a young person starts to feel that maybe they were complicit, they contributed, maybe it was their fault, maybe the, the, the person committing the act, um, either an act of sort of, you know, a, a sexual act or a, a sort of a vicious attack, what, what one can often do as, a, as the victim is you begin to sort of twist things and think, well, maybe, maybe it was my fault. And this particular guy, uh, Bunting, he, he became sort of obsessed with, bearing in mind, listeners, we're going to touch on some pretty sort of touchy subjects. So I'm, you know, again, I, a lot of this is, you know, I, whilst I do give my opinion about a lot of things, I'm going to use some terminology that's pretty upsetting, but this is as, it's basically from from him, but he had a, um, he had a, a mission. He believed that all, he, he, he had this thing about pedophiles, but it, it was the thin edge of the wedge for him. Because is this where the is this where his perceived vigilantism yes. is, is kind of a thing? Yes. So he he claims continues to claim that he was on some sort of crusade to rid the yeah, world to of help to help help society and even from the dock when they were being well his story which we'll come to later on in the dock is just unbelievable as to what he did whilst the judge was sentencing him it's just staggering um, but and the other the other sort of co-defendant bearing in mind that. Um, the young guy whose name is um, James. I'll just correct. Okay, James Spiridon. 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 Vlasalakis. Vlasakis. <laughs> who's this? James Vlasakis was was a young guy that was sort of embroiled and sucked into the the vortex because it was actually four people that were involved. But he was a young guy, but we'll come into sort of how he got involved. He was the son of one. Oh, look, it's just such a, it's very, there are, there are, there are some very interesting parts to this story, Paul, even though it is technically a, 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 like a mass killing, serial killing, most serial killers did not know their victims. That's one of the things that makes this so interesting is that all the victims were known intimately by the killers. Which is kind of so, you know, it, it's it's extra creepy because what you're doing as a killer is you are enabling the chances of getting caught become incredibly high. Yeah. Because it's a community. But it's a very, very, I mean, in terms of the socioeconomic um, community, the victims... And some of the victims were mentally impaired. You know, some of them were just... It's just... It's quite depressing. And Mm. I'm sure that if you and I went to some of these areas that I I don't think I'd like to name, you know, he definitely had a a mission. And he, he, like a lot of these people, he chose vulnerable people. You know, he didn't didn't go and, and pick, you know, people that would see through his his ruse you know 
So when did the killing actually start? Okay. Well, it started in August 1992. Okay. And it went for seven years. How the fuck did this stay... Sorry, I don't mean to, you know, have an outburst like that, but how did he... How did they... Dad, this is so complicated. First of all, multiple killers. Mm. Coercion. Four killers, yep. At least four people, mm. yep. At least, um, at least. But typically, serial killers work alone, don't they? No, they, they, uh, these were people that, as one of the... as When they were sort of summing up, uh, the judge said that these people, they actually loved, loved killing. And... Bunting, he, and I've heard this and we've discussed it occasionally, but he was the person that would look into the eyes of the victim, many of them who had been tortured in the most horrendous ways, ways that Mm. one of the things that they used to do that we will chat about another time is diabolical, um, involving a... um, a sprinkler? Is that what you call them? A, sorry, a sparkler? Sparkler. Did you yeah. read that bit about the sparkler? No, I didn't. It's I didn't. so bad. That I've, it's, I'll be honest, I've really I've, I've avoided well, you, a lot of lucky. details about, but we, we, yeah, we, about the torture. We will talk about it, but you know, the torture is, is very... And I think what happens with torture is that you get into a, a frenzy. And it's like... It reminds me of the tactical response group in Sydney and probably it used to be called the TRG. It's now the sort of public riot and civil disobedience squad. But, you know, back when they were in the very, very early years when I was in the police force and and some people that you know, including your godfather, was one of the founding members of the TRG. And they used to go out to Long Bay Jail and other places and basically train. But they, what happens in these situations... Paul, is that during the training, the situation becomes so real that when they were trying to, they were practicing extricating prisoners from their cells that had sort of, you know, barricaded themselves in, the the situation, which was basically a training exercise, it crossed the line and it became terrifyingly real. And they had to have police there to literally tear everyone apart because they become they became crazed and frenzied. That is what happened with these people. Some of the torture sessions that went on went on for days, and they were diabolical. And the people were enjoying it. They actually loved it. And Bunting famously used to look into their eyes and he reckoned that he could tell the second they died. And that's fucked. And there's, there's been no remorse, certainly from him. Look, what we've done right now, Dad, is really set the table for something interesting and complex and horrible because the fact is Bunting and his, I guess, crew... Mm. We're a really weird, complicated group of people. And in order to understand why they killed, who they killed, and in what order, we need to break down who these people are and just sort of set the table and explain, you know, how they knew each other. Because the fact is, like you said, the people they killed were people they knew. Mm. So if we, if we can really kind of, if we can analyze, 
this group of people and their close contacts than as we detail the victims. Because the first victim was killed uh, August 1992, and the last victim that we know of was killed May 1999. May 1999, that's 11 people killed between 1992 and 1999. All of them with some connection, I believe, to Bunting and his group of friends, I guess. I mean, this is starting to sound like a cult at this point. Well, look, um, look, without giving too much away for, for next week's episode where we really go deep, um, mm. when he was, prior to killing a lot of the people, yeah, when he was torturing them and, and, and recording, they, he recorded a lot of the, 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 the horror, uh, which is a bit of a common thread, I hate to say, some of the most terrible killers in the world. Mm. One of the things that he got them to do, Paul, and this is really creepy, he would get the victim to call Bunting, Wagner, and the other guy, Mark Hayden as well, you know, Vlasakis. He would get them to call them, sort of, he would, he would get them to sort of label them with sort of almighty and the creator and 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 all you know your holiness and god and he had this thing about the victims had to call all these this the crew sort of give them almost sort of godlike status during during the torture right that's to me it's to, look there's so much to unpack Paul and there are some all these things are sort of bubbling to the surface these things that I want to tell you but I won't yeah. obviously till next time but we wanted some- to do a kind of yeah I think a bird's eye view was yeah. really important yeah. for this first episode just to sort of go let's start with the snowtown itself mm. with the actual place yeah and then let's sort of try next week we're going to zoom in and look at Bunting and his crew and their close contacts and look at the people who perpetrated these murders and then begin to work our way through the victims. And then I would say after that, we will be taking you listeners through the trial and finish by talking about, you know, what comes next for the town itself. Because the fact is, Dad, this season of Loose Units, we've been going through location by location and without, I think without meaning to, engaging in a little bit of this dark tourism curating. I mean, mm. we've basically been building a, you know, a true crime atlas obscura that would, if you wanted to, you could go to these locations and visit them. But mm. is that morally okay? Is there a way to do it respectfully? Why do people want to do it? I mean, these are all very big questions. And we're going to dig in a little bit deeper next week on part two of our look at these Snowtown murders. And you know what? Now I'm feeling bad even calling them that. But what else do we do? Mm. Because that's, that's well, what they're called. Well, and that's... But they also were called the bodies in the barrel murders too. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Okay. you got a choice. i got a choice. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to part one of our look at these murders. We will see you later this week for a much-needed dose of levity with an episode of loose ends but have a great week jeez it's really the whiplash i get my god thank you so much for listening seriously everyone we really appreciate it make sure if you haven't already go across to apple Podcasts or spotify please it's really easy it takes like 10 seconds leave us a rating and a review we really really appreciate it and uh also speaking of true crime and this is a huge deal speaking of true crime dad the first episode of loose units was was a big deal, if you recall. Mm. And it was a big deal because Michelle Laurie, who co-hosts Australian True Crime, 
put our first episode on her feed, mm. and all of the listeners to Michelle Laurie's incredible true crime podcast hopped across. Mm. Now, Tegan and I do our weekly podcast, Dish Island, where every week we kidnap an incredible guest and bring them across to our island, and they can only bring one dish with them, which is their desert island dish. You yourself have been on Dish Island. You technically should still be there. We've had some amazing guests on this season. We've had Osha Gunsberg, Ella Hooper, Tanya Doka, all these amazing people. But, 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 this week, this Wednesday, you'll be able to hear Michelle Laurie finally arrive on the island, and she's going to talk. She's going to dig in really, really deep about what dealing with true crime and what staring this stuff in the face has done to her over the past few years and how it has affected her and how it's shaped her as a person. So if you love Australian true crime, it is an absolute must listen. So tune in first thing Wednesday morning, Dish Island. Make sure you subscribe to Dish Island as well. So we'll see you midweek for Dish Island and then we'll see you later this week for Loose Ends. See you soon, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.